What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Anna Neuer, coming at you on a Thursday afternoon on October 20th. That's the sweet sound of a surly furious. Send me a tweet of your drink of choice. In today's episode, I'll be talking about Ed Ingram and the Dolphins game briefly. I'll then talk about some of the takeaways from the Timberwolves' first game of the season. And then, of course, we'll end things talking about the Minnesota Twins and their infield outlook for the 2023 season. So, let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528 or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com and tell him Andrew sent you. Let's begin things talking about the Minnesota Vikings. It is a bye week this week, so I will not be going over the preview, but I will be doing that next week on, I guess, Thursday's show when they play the Arizona Cardinals. I always want to double check. I'm Yeah, yeah, Arizona Cardinals. So I will be talking about the Arizona Cardinals game in next week's pod, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Today, we're just going to go over the recap briefly, just because, I mean, by now, you know, it's so long. It's It's been so many days, so we'll just kind of recap it a little bit and then talk about Ed Ingram a little. That Dolphins game was kind of... I was nervous still just because, you know, the well, I guess you have to be nervous. It's Minnesota sports. They're always going to make it... Um, close i don't i was gonna say competitive but i don't even know if that's the right word because minnesota is a better team than the dolphins if tua is not playing if tua is playing then that might be a a totally different conversation to have because when tua was healthy the dolphins looked really good since he's been out and kind of dealing with those injuries you know they've had bridgewater go down they've had uh they had Tua go down and They've been kind of they've been sliding a little bit, and you saw it last two weeks ago. Actually, you saw two weeks ago that they lost to the Jets like forty to seventeen. So it was kind of a nerve wracking game, just because even without their quarterback, you're thinking, what if this is the game that they, you know, give up? You know, like you can think of like a couple years ago when Josh Allen was making that starter, even Cooper Rush. Like there are games that stick out, and this was one of those games that kind of had that feeling. And they did benefit from Skylar Thompson leaving the game with the injury. You know, I don't know. I guess, like, I haven't checked up on the Dolphins injury report. I don't know how he's doing now. But he looked good in the brief time we saw him play. So, apologize to Skylar Thompson and all Skylars out there for saying you can't lose to a quarterback named Skylar Thompson. He looks pretty good. And he kind of got screwed over by all those penalties. They... You know, they committed like five on that one drive where they were marching downfield, just setting up for a score. Ended up having to punt. The Dolphins pretty much cost themselves the game in that sense, I thought. You know, they committed 10 penalties for 97 yards, which 
is a shit ton. Like that's a lot to have to like overcome. And it just felt like every time the Dolphins got something, it was always a penalty on themselves, which just kind of like pushed back their momentum. The Vikings only committed two for 20 yards. So a lot more discipline on their side of things is again, like both teams didn't play great and they kind of just allowed each other to stay within striking distance. But the Dolphins, like, messing up that many times really kind of just shot themselves in the foot. And once Skylar Thompson did leave the game, personally, I thought that Teddy Bridgewater would play a lot better only because we've seen kind of what he's done in the past as a backup and as a starter, you know, Minnesota firsthand. But he didn't look great. And you're kind of starting to see why he hasn't been a full-time starter. He shows flashes, he does things, but at the same time, he's not that same player he was, you know, maybe five, six years ago or pre-injury. Like Bridgewater has lost a step in that sense. He looked good with the Saints when Drew Brees was out and everything, but it's tough to say. Bridgewater kind of, they the Vikings benefited though from Skylar Thompson leaving. Bridgewater couldn't make, the passes really he couldn't scramble like we've seen in the past and i mean it doesn't help when you have zadarius smith kind of breathing down your neck he had 11 pressures that game and he just made their life hell zadarius smith has looked incredible i tweeted out the other day asking people if they thought zadarius smith has been the vikings best defense player defender and it was pretty much unanimous that he has been and I, I agree. So I'm not going to talk too much into like what Zadarius Smith has done, you know, against the Dolphins and in the past, because I will be coming out with an article maybe Saturday. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of, I've already put out a bunch of Timberwolves stuff this week, so I'm kind of spacing th- some things out. So I will have a Zadarius Smith article coming out later this week and kind of just talking about his impact on defense and what he's been able to do, you know, just last week in this entire season as a whole. So the defense was good. This was probably the best game we've seen from them. They were having take, they were take, I mean, they made a bunch of takeaways there. They created a bunch of takeaways. I guess that's the better word for it. They, they sacked the Dolphins six times. I mean, you just look up and down the list. They forced a fumble. They had two interceptions, like, this was a game, it was a well-rounded, like, complete game from them. If you had to choose any other game, it would probably be the Packers game, but this one, they were getting to the quarterback. They were changing up blitz, like, their blitz packages in the past were kind of vanilla. They weren't really anything spicy. Where this week, they are kind of changing some things up and giving the Dolphins different looks, and I don't know if that's a factor of you're starting Skylar Thompson and then Teddy Bridgewater. Or if that's a, we're starting to understand the defense a little more. Let's upgrade it and kind of make it a little more complex. And the more complex it gets, the better the defense will be. And we've kind of seen this defense improve week by week. You can, you can ignore the Chicago game. I don't think that, I thought that was a step back. But this, like this is Miami game. And yeah, maybe it is the credit to the, who is the quarterback, but. The defense did look a lot better. They were getting to the quarterback. They were getting sacks. They were, you know, causing fumbles, 
creating inter- like creating interceptions like they were just creating turnovers and it was really you know it was really encouraging to see and moving forward hopefully that's the case and with you know this bye week coming up now and you're going to have to prepare for the Arizona Cardinals and yeah the Arizona Cardinals might not be the team we thought they would be but they will be getting DeAndre Hap- DeAndre Hopkins back and Minnesota has struggled to contain mobile quarterback so we'll see kind of how they improve this week and what kind of stuff they bring next week like i'm i'm really curious to see how they approach the cardinals with you know such a mobile quarterback in kyler murray and yeah like i said the cardinals haven't been good and kyler murray has not been himself as we've seen in the past but he still has the ability to get out of the pocket and make plays with his legs so that'll be really interesting to see how they prepare for that and see if they continue to show different types of blitzes and maybe change some things up. Offensively, though, it wasn't great. And it's kind of frustrating because when the defense hasn't been good, the offense has. And when the offense hasn't been good, the defense defense hasn't been. And you just want to see four quarters of just great football and just everything put together in a sense. But the offense wasn't good. I didn't hate the game from Kirk Cousins. It wasn't a impressive performance, I guess you could say. Justin Jefferson obviously looked good as per usual. Um, I'm just trying to think here. Like Dalvin Cook even. like Beyond that 53-yard run, which I did tweet out, that Dalvin Cook's previous long longest run was 16 yards, and... We haven't seen that burst, that 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 athleticism, and his quickness out of like the gates, essentially. And it was kind of encouraging there to see him kind of, you know, play that patiently, find the hole, and then just burst through it for the easy touchdown. That was nice to see because we haven't really seen any of that this season from Dalvin Cook. He, but other than that run, he was pretty much contained. If you just subtract seventy-seven minus fifty-three, that's twenty-four yards. So. 24 yards on 12 carries is not a good number. But again, all you need is one play. And if you just looked at the stats, you'd be like, hey, great game. 77 yards, 5.9 yards a carry, one touchdown. But if you watched it, there wasn't really anything going on the ground. And I really, and to Miami's credit, they are a good run defensive team. I pointed that out in my last podcast that they rank, I don't even remember now. 13th top 10 it was in that range of an above average to good run defensive team whereas i said their passing their pass defense has not been good and granted Xavier howard did end up playing and i didn't account for that in my podcast but beyond like just Xavier howard the dolphins do or they did rank 30th out of 32 teams in like their pass defense so i really thought this is a game where kirk cousins adam thielen and Justin Jefferson would really show out and we didn't get it, but it doesn't really matter because the Vikings won and that's all that really matters. And again, I've said it before in the, in the past, some of these close games is because Kirk cousins has not played well, but they are also five and one because of Kirk cousin, Kirk cousins. So it's kind of take it, you know, say what you will, but offensively, hopefully they will improve. You don't really expect, an offense that consists of Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, 
Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Irv Smith, KJ Osborne. Like, there's so many weapons that they will be able to utilize in the future that I'm not really concerned about that last performance. My other note from the game, Ryan Wright, he's a beast. Not much else to say. Just kicks it. He's a he's the punk god. I just want to touch up on Ed Ingram. I tweeted last night and it seemed to get a lot of buzz. And I think a lot of people kind of misconstrued of like what I was trying to say. So the tweet was, I said, this season, Ed Ingram has given up 21 QB pressures, which is the most amongst guards. Should the Vikings explore a trade or continue to develop their second round pick? And a lot of people took that as I was saying they should trade Ed Ingram. And I should have been more, I should have clarified a little more, but I didn't feel like I had to specifically say, should they explore a trade for another guard? Because I didn't think people would assume that I would think about trading a second round pick six games into the season. But that's on me. The point was, Ed Ingram has given up a lot of pressures. And I don't know exactly if some of that is due to Garrett Bradbury. Bradbury's numbers look better, but he necessarily hasn't been playing all that great. He's just been kind of getting covered up by other players around him. And then Ed Ingram is not good in the pass. He's got a PFF grade of like 30-something. We've seen him, like I said, 21 QB pressures. That's a lot. That's the most amongst the NFL. But he's really good in run situations. And that is encouraging. It's not like he's just bad on both ends. He's good at one. And eventually, you know, he's a rookie six games into his career. That will improve as time goes on and the more reps he gets. It wasn't like Christian Derrissaw was an impressive offensive lineman last year. He showed different glimpses of everything. But this season, Christian Derrissaw has been one of the best left tackles. And Maybe we see something similar with Ed Ingram. Talented player, fell to the second round for obviously off-field issues that I've kind of brought up before in the past. But Ed Ingram is a talented player. I'm not worried about his pass-blocking situations. If you're curious, I did say that I wanted the Vikings to continue to develop him and they shouldn't explore a trade. The only way I'd really ever explore it is if like you're really concerned about Ed Ingram's like mental confidence on the field and just kind of removing him and allowing him to learn from afar would hopefully improve that confidence or just show him different things that he was missing before. But I don't think they should trade him. I mean, sorry, no, I don't think they should trade for a guard and they should just continue to develop their second round pick. All right, let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm not going to dive too deeply into the first game because there is still 81 more games and whatever we saw in game one could be drastically different than what we see in February and January. It was kind of like, the preseason where I talked about that first game against the Miami heat. And we were thinking, Hey, Nas Reed might not be even in the road. Well, he's not in the rotation, I guess, but maybe Nate Knight's the guy. And as we all saw, Nas Reed clearly outplayed Nate Knight as this, as the preseason went on. So not going to get too far into this. We're going to just kind of briefly talk about the Timberwolves. I already, if you didn't see, I posted a Wolves-centric podcast earlier this week with Michael from Wolves Talk, where we just kind of previewed the Minnesota Timberwolves season and what we might be able to expect. But what a game. This gave us flashbacks like to that Memphis Grizzlies series where the Timberwolves go up by a big number and then just let it all crumble away. 
it's it was honestly it didn't like in the sense of like where last year it was like that's just inexperience and the Grizzlies are a good team. This one felt more like, hey, first game of the season, we're already up 15 or whatever. We're playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're trying to tank. Let's just kind of coast. We got a long season ahead of us. These are NBA players. They're not just going to give up that easily. And yeah, the Thunder might be trying to tank for Wembenyama. But the players necessarily aren't because these are still guys who are playing for their next contract. They're trying to impress. So all things considered, the the Oklahoma City Thunder do have they have these they have pretty good players like Shea Gilders Alexander is like super underrated. Like he should be talked about a lot more, but because he's on a losing team, we don't really consider him. Josh Kitty is someone I am like. I have a huge like basketball crush on him because he does so many things that are just incredible. They have players on their team that are decent NBA players. They just don't get looked at enough. And a lot of their problems are just, they don't have a lot of veteran guys. They're just a bunch of young players who are just scrapping for their next contracts. So I'm not too concerned about things. Again, it was more of the, the Timberwolves won because they just have more talent. It wasn't a case of they look better. They just, it's hard to win. Like it's hard for the wolves to lose this game. When you have a lot more talent, you can clearly see that this team just looks like they went to a local YMCA and are playing a pickup game. And they're just trying to figure out where their guys spots are. Like this is going to take time. And they're, you can look at it both ways, whether or not this easy schedule helps them or doesn't, but, it is like giving them reps. And as the game kind of went on beyond the third quarter, I thought they I thought they looked better than the Brooklyn Nets game. And again, you're playing against the Brooklyn Nets. Like it's going to be a lot more difficult than the Thunder. But all things considered, this will get better as time goes on. And Rudy Gobert obviously was the player of the game. One of my friends asked if I who I thought was going to go off tonight. And I said Rudy Gobert because I just felt like he was just going to feast on the thunder. And he did. And the one thing that's like, Rudy Gobert is going to con- like consistently give you the same level of play all season long. Whereas, you know, players like Ant, D'Lo, and Cat, they have more of a roller coaster in the sense of, you don't know what kind of game you're going to get from them. They'll give you, like, like Cat could just, Go like go off again, like against the Spurs last season, sixty points. You're not getting that from Rudy Gobert. So there's like, there's a reason Rudy Gobert was just a constant player for the Timberwolves last night. Is just because he has less highs and lows, and he was their best player by far. Whenever he was off the court, he, the Timberwolves couldn't do anything, and when they had to put him back in, he was an incredible player. And I just recently saw a tweet. <clears throat> From McCade Pearson at McCade P8. The tweet says the Timberwolves had a 84.8 defensive rating with Gobert on the court and a 141.4 with him off the court, which is absolutely insane. And yeah, it's one game, but wow. There will be the Timberwolves will look better as the season goes on, but Rudy Gobert. 
if you're just going off one game, the Timberwolves made the right choice in trading for him because they would not have won this game if Rudy Gobert wasn't on the roster. Carl Anthony Towns needs to add muscle. It's clear that he's still working his way back and he's trying to build himself some stuff up because he was kind of getting bodied by Lou Dort. And Lou Dort is not like an easy guy to go up against. He's a physical, big body player. Like it's not you're going it's like you're going up against Shea Gilge Alexander. And when he would try to drive, he would just kind of like get bodied up and then he'd have to kick it out or he'd just make a terrible pass. Like these are things that will get better if Carl Anthony Towns can put more muscle on and can increase his weight because he can't keep playing like this. At first you thought maybe this would be the answer. It's clearly not. I did think that he did well defensively and he kind of got ripped on Twitter. And of course, Twitter is going to find one play and just rip him apart. But if you really just look at it, Cat's game as a whole on defense, he looked really good. And there was, you know, there was plays where Shea Gilgis Alexander tried to take advantage of the matchup, but Carlton Towns was too quick. He was in his, he was shuffling his feet. He was staying in front of him. Shea Gill just tried to drive to the rim and there wasn't anything there. Like Carl, Carl Anthony Towns has the ability to play perimeter defense. And we've seen that in the past from him. It's not like this is going to be a new experience. For a while there, we were talking about, hey, Carl Anthony Towns might be a really good perimeter defender. Pass, I, I thought he really had a good first half. The second half is where kind of things went a little too, little sideways. He was passing the ball. He was getting it to Rudy Gobert. He was rebounding it. He kind of filled up the stat sheet. If he would have scored more and been more efficient offensively, we'd have been looking at this and been like, hey, this was a complete Carl Anthony Towns game. Defense, rebounding, assists. He looked good beyond the offensive portion of things. And I gave him the rough game just because he's Carl Anthony Towns. He should not be going. Let me just double check. I'm pretty sure it was just two for nine. Yeah, no, okay, so two for ten. Like, you don't want your best offensive skilled player to be going two of ten from the field. He did get three, seven three-point shot attempts, so, like, that's great to see. That number will eventually, like, it's very hard to see Carlton Towns continuing to shoot like that. As time goes on, like, he hasn't really played any reps. He was in the hospital. Like, it's going to take time for him. Anthony Edwards looked... I don't really know how to explain Anthony Edwards game last night. Like it was bad, but it wasn't terrible. If that makes any sense. He did shoot two of seven at the rim. A lot of them were just easy bunnies that just should have gotten in. Eventually they, those are shots that he, that will go in, in the future. I'm not really sure what was going on with him. He hasn't really looked like himself in the last like game or two. So we'll see how that kind of continues. And that was my concern. It's like, how do you get him involved offensively? Because he tried to do stuff, but it was like every time he touched the ball, he's like dribble, 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 step back. Let me go for a mid mid range. He was just settling too much where he was, like I said, he would just pull up for the mid range or he would drive and then just kick it out for a three point shot. And it was good to see him, try to play make or try to get others involved. But there were many times where he would drive to the rim and you're thinking, yes, like go to the rim, get fouled or just throw it down on someone. But he just kept, he just kept kicking it out. And there's one play 
I don't remember the time or where exactly it was in the game, but Rudy Gobert clearly had the mismatch. I don't know if it was Giddy or SGA on him down low. And all Anthony Edwards had to do, because Rudy Gobert sealed off his man. All you have to do is just throw it a little bit taller that they can't jump him, get it into Rudy Gobert's hands, and it's either going to be an easy dunk or he's going to get fouled. And instead, Anthony Edwards dribbled into the player and Rudy Gobert and brought his man with it into that big jumble of mess and then had to just back it up. And then Rudy Gobert set the screen. It was just, it was a really frustrating play to watch. And I know that wasn't probably the most descriptive thing, but maybe you know what I'm talking about if just by saying that. Offensively, it will come for Ant. He did play make. He did rebound. He did play good defense. Like these games from Cat and Ant will come offensively. D'Angelo Russell looked great. And I, before this game, I tweeted my article saying that he's going to be the X factor of this season simply because he can, you know, he's like a domino effect for the other players on the court. Like if Rudy Gobert wants to have success, D'Angelo Russell will have to play almost at the top of his game. If D'Angelo Russell's not playing well, Rudy Gobert might not be getting his own. And I thought the pick and roll looked good. It's going to continue to get better. There was one play I remember off the top of my head where D'Lo did do a pick and roll, lobbed it up to Rudy Gobert. Gobert wasn't expecting it, and it just went out of bounds. Like, those are things that are going to get better as time goes on. D'Angelo Russell didn't try to do too much. He found guys. He made plays. He took the open shots when it mattered, and he made them. If D'Angelo Russell can play like this, he will find himself into another contract, hopefully with the Minnesota Timberwolves. But it was really encouraging to see this kind of game from a borderline all-star level type player. And Jaden McDaniels, incredible game. If it wasn't for how good Rudy Gobert played, I was very tempted to put Jaden McDaniels as MVP. Because it really felt like when McDaniels was in the game, he kind of just dictated the way things were going both offensively and defensively he looked good and good things just happened when he was on the floor but then Rudy Gobert just continued to dominate as the game went on and his presence was more known but here's D'Lo on Jordan on sorry D'Lo on Jaden McDaniels uh if you don't see it it is from Dane Moore's Twitter account he tweeted I'm from D'Lo on Jaden wow okay let's just rewind here D'Lo on Jaden McDaniels via Dane Moore's Twitter. Not one player was drawn up for him. Not one play was drawn up from him. So for him to dominate the game the way he did, guard the best player and dominate the game offensively, he's going to have a hell of a career, hell of a season. He's just scratching the surface. And that's completely true. And the Wolves kind of got lapped at for not giving up all those, like they, they, Gave up all those picks. They didn't, and they didn't include Jaden McDaniels. They were right to do so. Like he was incredible last night. Just looking, if you just look at his stats, he didn't watch the game. Ten free throws, made nine of them. Six rebounds, three assists, three steals, two blocks, nineteen points on fifty percent shooting from the field. And I thought Jaden McDaniels really looked good dribbling the ball. He looked comfortable. It was just a really all-around game. I've tweeted some stuff about Jaden McDaniels already today. So if you haven't seen that, go check out my Twitter account at Let's Talk Wolves. 
I'm really excited about Jaden McDaniels. If he can become not just a player who just stands in the corner, plays good defense, and just shoots threes at a 40% clip, that's going to be huge for the Timberwolves. They might have another offensive weapon, and we might be talking about... Like, imagine if Jaden McDaniels plays like this every night, and then Ant and Cat are figuring it out. You might be looking and say, Rudy Gobert or D'Angelo Russell are your fifth option now on offense. And Jaden McDaniels is now... Maybe number two or three, depending on the night Cat and Ants are having. That's that's pretty crazy to think about. Some other notes. Torian Prince I thought was really good last night. Didn't see any Nas Reed, which I was really surprised about. Austin Rivers played a bit, but that was just to play defensive possessions because Anthony Edwards' foul rate was a little too high. Jalen Noel was a bucket. I really liked what I saw from him. There's a lot of things you liked. I was surprised Jordan McLaughlin didn't get a little more run, but he wasn't making shots the same clip we saw maybe in the playoffs or in the preseason. There's a lot to like from this game. There's a lot to dislike. A lot of this will get cleaned up as the season goes on. It's just going to take a matter of time for this group. Like They have not played many minutes together. So as the season goes on, this will get a lot better, and we'll continue to just dive into everything that the Timberwolves are doing. Okay, let's end things talking about the Minnesota Twins. If you didn't if you didn't see or didn't know, I did a outfield outlook on my last week's pod, so go sh- be sure to go check that out. I just kind of briefly talk about each player, you know, on the 40-man roster and kind of what, you know, briefly just talk about what to expect next year and kind of review their season as a whole. Uh this week we're just going to be doing the infield group. And this is just meant to be just a quick like glimpse of what they did what to expect like i will be talking about these players you know a lot more in depth like in the future as this offseason kind of goes on like right now we're just kind of slowly building up to the offseason like i'm not going to just dive straight into each specific player and talk about what they should do for an hour i can you know mix things up and kind of break it down player by player as the weeks goes on like for example I will be talking about Gio Urshela. His is a complicated situation, much like Jorge Polanco. Like, what do the Twins do in those situations? So just moving forward, like, this is just a brief thing. We'll talk about the pitchers and catchers and everything else. Well, let's just talk about Luis Arise. His is pretty much a... There's a lot of, like, the outfield one is more was more a little more complicated because there's so many different players because there's only three positions to play at each guy. Whereas the infield, a lot of the Twins players are, you know, they can mix and match around. Like, they're utility players in some sense. Like, where Jose Miranda can play first, third. Luis Arias can play first, second, short. Like, they have a bunch of guys that can mix and match. And just as a heads up, I don't talk about Nick Gordon or Alex Kirloff here because I kind of touched up on them, like, in their outfield outlook. And I did briefly talk about their infield ability. So Luis Arise, like, what is his position? And that's what the Twins are going to have to figure out this offseason. Is he going to be their long-time first baseman? Is he going to play second? DH. And obviously the main point for Luis Arise is to get him everyday at-bats. Like, do you remember in the beginning of the season when we were all so upset at the Twins for not playing Luis Arise every day? And it was really frustrating because it's like, how do you not see him as a future batting title winner or just a 
plus 300 hitter. It wasn't really hard to see. We've seen it in the past from Luis Arise. It wasn't like this was some small sample size. But it was frustrating. And eventually the Twins kind of caught on and realized like, hey, maybe we should play this guy who can hit 300 and get multiple hits each and every day. So that's going to be the main goal is just finding out where his position is. He was a he was a fine first baseman. I wouldn't say he was impressive. Maybe I mean like he was impressive like in the sense of like giving his size and what he was able to do with that, but the Twins could easily improve that defensively and both power-wise if they found you know, just another player like Trey Mancini or Josh Bell, et cetera. Like there are different options and maybe they go with Alex Kirilov long-term at first, or maybe even Jose Miranda, who we'll get to in a second. But those are two players that like give you more power. And I don't really necessarily care about whether or not your first baseman's giving you power, as long as you're getting it from other positions. Because, you know, primarily your first baseman is your, you know, home run hitter. And if you're not getting that from other positions, then you're just playing Cleveland and Kansas City style baseball, which I mean, it's worked for them in the past, but it's still not a feasible long-term option, I don't think. So Luis Arise is either first, second, or DH. And the main thing about figuring out what his position is long-term is figuring out what keeps him on the field and healthy. And we saw a lot of like, because he transitioned from first, I mean, from second to first, he was able to stay on the field a little better. And long-term wise, it was like long-term this season, it was better. Like in the past, we've seen Luis arise in August, September, just completely plummet where his numbers, you could just tell that his legs were wearing down on him. And now it's a long season, 162 games. I don't blame them. And this year we kind of saw a little bit of that, but it wasn't to the same extreme that we've seen in the past when he is playing second in other positions. And just putting him at first base and DHing him a bunch allowed him to stay healthy. And I'm not sure if he would have finished the season had he not been in the batting title contention. And obviously that meant a lot to him, and it should. But I'm curious to see, like, if that played an imp- like a role. Like, if he wasn't really in contention, would he have just been shut down for the season? And that's always been the biggest thing: is how can you keep Arise healthy for the entire season? That's been the case for pretty much every single Minnesota Twins player. So that's going to be kind of the main thing. We don't really need to dive into his season. It was impressive. Like, he won the batting title. He's a great. He's a great hitter. The question is, what do you do with him? on the defensive side of things. Jorge Polanco, he's a little more tricky to get into it, and it's a little more cloudy. And so the biggest question is, what do you do with Jorge Polanco? Do you keep him and continue to play him at second base? Do you put him at shortstop if Carlos Correa doesn't re-sign and he can be your shortstop for the meantime? Like, if Carlos Correa doesn't re-sign, you could put... Jorge Polanco at short, Luis Arise at second, and Jose Miranda at first. And then you keep Girochella. Or, you know, like there's so many different things that Twins have. They have a lot of avenues. But that's just one idea because eventually Royce Lewis will be back. And we'll talk about him again. And uh, we'll talk about him last. But 
if Royce Lewis is the real deal for your shortstop long-term, you're not worried about his knee, then maybe you don't re-sign Carlos Correa. Just a little hint, I want you to re-sign. I want them to re-sign Carlos Correa, and I'll get to that. I sound like a broken record. There's just so many different players and so many things, so my head's just kind of like all over the place. But he is on a team-friendly deal. He's on the books next season for $7.5 million, and then the year after that, it's $10.5 million. And in 2025, the Twins have a club option for $12 million. The problem is, while it is a team-friendly deal, he has been dealing with injuries. You know, he's not getting younger. He's going to be 30 next season. And by time 2025, you're looking at a 32, 33-year-old player. Could you move Jorge Polanco for a pitcher? And obviously, that's not a one-for-one deal, depending on, obviously, who you're getting back in a trade. But maybe you move him for a pitcher along with other assets. And that's that's a potential option. And maybe that's when you bring... That's maybe when you slide Luis Arias to second base, if that's the decision you go with. The problem with just moving him, like, yeah, that sounds great. You're creating more at-bats for Luis Arias and you're getting another starting pitcher, whatever. Polanco is kind of like, the problem with what I, in my opinion, I do believe that Jorge Polanco is kind of like the heart and soul of this team. And removing him could be detrimental. He's the longest tenured twin. He's He made his debut in 2014. He's been with the twins since he signed in 2009. Like, this is not just like, get rid of the guy, let's plug in this new one, and let's go. Like, there is, like, the whole clubhouse. There is, like, the locker room sense. And, like, Jorge Polanco is is and has, like, been, like, a lifetime twin. And seeing him go would probably have an impact on the team because, you know, these players have been with each other for so long. And they all – and the, the really cool thing about the Twins is, like, they're all – they all have, like, that Dominican-Puerto Rican, like, background. And that really – seems to almost boost like the entire team essentially like you see the guys and they're getting along like they all come from that similar background and and that's what's been really fun to see with the twins is that they have these kind of guys and moving him would just kind of almost remove a lot from the clubhouse but he did battle ankle injuries in the past he battled a knee injury last year he was the 2021 like MVP of the twin season. Are you going to get that again from him? I'm not sure. And we'll get into Jorge Polanco moving forward, but like that's just something to like think about as the offseason progresses. Like, do you move him so that you can create more at bats for Luis Rise at second base? Or there's just so much that goes into it that we will get into it. Carlos Correa, I don't really feel like I need to get too much in the weeds with him. It's pretty simple. You re-sign him. He is a valuable player, and he's one of the best shortstops in the game. I mean, he had a 5.4 wins above replacement, a 291 batting average. His defense was incredible. And on days he wasn't playing, the Twins' defense suffered immensely. Like, you'd see if Nick Gordon or Jermaine Palacios or whatever was making that same play, they couldn't do it. Whereas Carlos Correa made those incredible throws with his arm strength that not many players are able to do and just moving if you re-sign him that's encouraging for other free agents like 
yeah, I'd love to come to Minnesota to play with Byron Buxton and Carlos Correa. He brings winning attitude. He's been to the playoffs. And if the Twins go to the playoffs, that would be so huge in like breaking that streak of like games they haven't won in the playoffs. So I will keep track of like the whole situation. I will keep you posted. I did talk about him in an article a week ago about his contract. We'll kind of see what happens here. But the simple answer is just to resign him and figure out the whole Royce Lewis and position fitting with other players like in the future. You know, you're, it's a good problem to have too many good players. And again, Jose Miranda's pretty simple, had an incredible rookie year. You just keep him, you let him play. The only question is is he your first or third baseman? And we'll talk about Girochella next. Jose Miranda has great power. He's a really good hitter. He's actually, a, for being a rookie and a kind of powerful hitter, he's really patient at the plate, which is really impressive for his age and just skill set. Defensively, he did improve a lot. And when we started out, it was like, is this guy just a long-term DH? Like his defense is not, his defense is costing us games. And that mindset or just idea shifted a lot as the year went on and he didn't really get many opportunities at third base he had 62 chances created three errors 952 fielding percentage which isn't good but he didn't really have many opportunities but at first base he had a 994 percentage three errors on 536 chances just a drastic difference and again Third base is harder to play than first base. There's a reason your third baseman is a better defender than first usually. So do you believe Jose Miranda is an average defender at third base? And if he is, maybe that changes your outlook on what you do with Giro Shella. Or maybe you just really like what he's been giving you at first base. But then you have the Alex Kirilov situation. You have Luis Arise. So there's other players who want to... They just have so many different decisions to make this offseason, essentially. And I feel like I'm all over the place, but like there is just so many like things to break down that we will get to. But defensively, that's what they have to figure out with Jose Miranda. It's not about what they should do with him future wise on like keeping him or do they find a, a replacement? It's just figure out if he's your first or third baseman and go from there because his offense is incredible and he's going to be a batting title type of player. And he has that type of ability. Girochella, he... I probably won't talk about him as much as I did with Jorge Polanco on this, but the biggest question is obviously, do you bring him back? He's arbitration eligible. It's estimated to be a little over $9 million. So do you bring him back for $9 million or do you let him go and you slide your, uh, and then you slide Jose Miranda third base? You'd save a lot of money. You'd save millions of millions of dollars. But just getting rid of Giro Shella is not that easy because he was a good player for the Twins. 3.1 wins above replacement, 285 batting average. He's a great defender for them third and fielding percentage in, in, in the entire league. 
Alex Bregman had the same fielding percentage at 983, but he had more chances. So that's why he wasn't tied for second. But to be in that same ballpark as like those other those other third basemen, being one of the best in the league, it's impressive. He only had six errors this entire season. And he came through in big moments for the Twins. He's a veteran who's been there. He understands it. So like in the postseason, having him in these situations would be big. And we saw that in late game situations where it was like the moment wasn't too big for him. But he will be 31 years old. So that's the other thing is like, do you bring a 31-year-old back on a $9 million contract when you have a young budding star in Jose Miranda? Or do you play Royce Lewis there at third base if you get Carlos Correa to reassign? These are questions the Twins are going to have to assess this offseason. And Miguel Sano, just a quick 30-second thing about him. His time is done with the Twins. They have a $14 million club option with him. It's almost a guarantee they don't bring him back. He's been kind of abysmal the last few years. High strikeout number. He's a good defender, and he's got a lot of power, but he just doesn't make contact, which is almost 99% of what you're trying to do at the plate. You wish him well. Obviously, it didn't work out, but it sucks. Air is over for Miguel Sano. Let's move on to Royce Lewis. My guess is that you should bet on him. And if Correa re- returns, do they just say, G. Rochella, you're gone? And then that opens up that slot for Royce Lewis to play third. Well, we haven't really seen Royce Lewis play third, even in the minors. But if Correa doesn't return, then you could, you know, like we've already talked about, you can move Jorge Polanco to shortstop. Like they're just, we've already kind of talked about it. I don't want to keep going like, oh, then this player can play here and this player can play here. The point is Royce Lewis is the real deal. He looked great when he was playing. You can bet on him probably recovering from the second ACL. Yeah, it's another ACL injury, but I almost feel like they're done experimenting with him playing the outfield you know like it wasn't the twins fault for putting him in the outfield he has experience playing the outfield and that was always the thing is like if buxton's not your answer is royce lewis your center fielder so the whole idea of like oh the twins ruined his career by putting him in the outfield was just kind of stupid because royce lewis was their kind of future plan of playing center field so moving forward you can bet on them. They are pushing for a harder recovery. So expect an earlier timetable for him to return, but I don't know if he's going to be ret- able to play, you know, in that first month, they do have other options. Like you can play Nick Gordon, you can play Jorge, you can play Luis, but bet on Royce Lewis. He's an incredible player. And if he's healthy, the twins are going to be a much better team. And if Correa stays like that's a three headed monster of Correa, Lewis, Buxton, and the Twins could be very, very, very good. But anyways, that wraps up our 31st episode. Be sure to follow Let's Talk Minnesota Sports on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow my accounts on Twitter at Let's Talk Twins, Let's Talk Wolves, Let's Talk Vikes, and Let's Talk Wild. Thank you all for listening. Cheers.